we asked um, Manuela, what's the worst crime against Italian food? And she was like, so we want to ask you that. So you better be ready to answer that I know. Well then, yeah. yeah, but I, I like, I know. I know Burritos. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bueno. Okay, so um, because Julia Langbein is not here with us in the studio, it could have to do with her having a four-month-old and a four-year-old, uh, I have been selected to the intro. So, hello, everybody. Welcome to Spice Bags, where three expats talk about food in Ireland from a global perspective. Um, we are actually happy to have another expat in Julia's place with us today, Lily Ramirez, um, owner and founder of Picado, uh, which is, to call it a Mexican grocery shop is not to do it justice, um, but it is a purveyor of fine Mexican foods, and I love it on Camden Street. Welcome, Lily. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So also, Lily brought over, I'm looking at... Um, and we'll want to be talking about this later. I'm looking at, um, I believe these are candies called puparin, puparindo. Puparindo, yeah. And also um, these crisps called takis. And so we're going to be eating them and talking about them in studio later. Um, but first, Lily, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you landed in Ireland and why you started cooking Mexican food? I always, when people ask me, I think I'm in Ireland 20 years now. And the one question that I always, always get when I meet somebody for the first time is, why are you here? Like of all places, you're coming from a really sunny, beautiful Mexico and you're landed in grey, rainy Ireland. And I always say the same. It's true love. It's really not the weather. Right. <laughs> it's true love that's kept me here for 20 years. Another, yet another person in, ensnared by an Irish husband. Yes. It was, to me, it was love at first sight. Yeah, he took a little bit more convincing. Irish right? men are very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Listeners who are trying to bag an Irish husband, call us Spice Bag at Spice Bags, at Spice Bags Pod. Pod. Yeah. We'll give you some tips. And how did you get the idea to do Picado? Because just a little bit about Picado. Picado is not only a store. It's also like the place to go to learn traditional Mexican cuisine, like tamales and tortillas. So how did you come up with that idea? And what made you make the jump? Because you had a career before, so... When I first came in, I fell in love with the man and the island and the food and everything was wonderful. For the first four months, I loved my meat and two veg and potatoes because it's funny how Irish people don't see potatoes as a veg. Very traditionally, you know, it's two meat, two meat or three veg, sorry, a meat, three veg and potatoes or a meat, two veg and potatoes. Um, and that was fabulous. But after four months, I was like, God almighty, where's the salsa? Where's like the tortilla to cuddle the meat with? And so it was all these kind of deep homesickness that kind of suddenly hit me because I think I knew I wanted to stay for the long run. And, it, you know, while... I always loved the kitchen and I come from a family that's deeply in love with food. Um, when I was 13, I poisoned the whole family with some, I think it was zucchini, fettuccine, something. Um, it was very traumatic. Everybody ended up with food poisoning. And I gave up the kitchen at 13, said never again. Kitchen's for losers. I'm going to be a career woman, blah, blah, blah. And 
I never cooked again from the age of 13. I was never in the kitchen until I moved back here. And what I, what I, what hit me when I came here is that that deep connection that we have with food and determines so much who we are and our heritage. And it's a connection with your family and, and your, your, your heritage, basically. I, I miss that terribly. After four months, I was like, it wasn't that I hated Irish food. It was the fact that I, I was so lonely but and so homesick. Ways, in certain ways, your homes, homesickness triggered a desire to cook food totally. that you would not have, probably wouldn't have happened if you had stayed in Mexico. Totally, yeah. In Mexico, I wanted to eat Italian food and Chinese food and Japanese food. But when I got here... I, I had this deep desire of, of, you know, comfort. And I realized I, I, my knowledge of food was deeply flawed because I had rejected that idea that as a woman, all I needed to do was to be a good wife. <laughs> so I think I went through about a year of, of rediscovering who I was through food. And I always will always credit the poor foreign family who had to eat all my disasters at the beginning. And you have to think that this is 20 years ago when we we forget how much Ireland has changed in 20 years. I was told that um, by Ashish um, from Jaipur, he, he said 20 years ago, you couldn't find cilantro. So, oh, God, no. So if, you know, like... How do you cook without cilantro? Yeah. No, May, there was there was nobody. My in-laws had never had an avocado or, or a mango. Mm. They, like, fiscally, when I actually got my hands into a mango, they looked at it and they went, uh, how does one eat these? And I was like, well, you peel it and you kind of... This you know. actually kind of leads to sort of the question, uh, one of the questions that we had uh, for you, which is, what are some of the gateway dishes to Mexican food? And what are you? What would you be cooking people who don't know anything about Mexican food? Which I'm sure, like, you know, given that you have been doing this for 20 years and you've seen... I think um, it, it depends. It's very different depending on who you're cooking for. Um, I, I find, I found over the last... Six years when we've done supper clubs and, and classes at Picado weekly and we do three or four a week. I, I've learned very quickly that Irish people have a very, very uh, adventurous palate. And anybody, and this is one of the things it will probably lead us into talking with about the crimes of um, Mexican food in Ireland. I think a lot of people assume that because you're Irish you are or white you're immediately going to reject chilies and spices and flavor and i found that is the complete opposite in all my experience now you have to also realize that anybody who's coming into picado has already a yearning for that but even at a, when we have approached mexican food or, or share Mexican food to a wider um, audience, not just the people who come to Picado, I found that the one thing in common is that people think, oh my God, I always thought Mexican food was really, really spicy. And what it ends up being is just really, really flavorsome. And that the one biggest or second biggest crime is the fact that people, A, people try and dumb down the food because 
they think that Irish people. So just to be clear, crimes against sort of crimes against Mexican food. Crimes against Mexican food, dumbing down the food. There's no need, absolutely no need, because when you really cook traditional Mexican food, a lot of the times, 95 percent of the times, the amount of heat comes from a salsa that's always on the side. So you can decide how much or how little you can put on it. When you say that they're dumbing, can can you give an example of some dish that you've seen that you think this is, because I'm trying to understand, is it dumbing down the, the heat? Is it dumbing down the ingredients? They dumb down the heat and they they dumb down the, the, the spice, the flavor that comes from the spices. And I think um, that's that's a huge crime because once... You can always tone down a little bit the heat or warn people, listen, this salsa is over hot. Don't avoid it, but maybe don't lash it all over the dish. Put a few drops. Can you give an example, though, sort of specific example of, you know, a dish that you thought could have been really good, but then the spice was the flavor was dialed down and you felt like that that. You don't have to tell us the restaurant. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Um, I was... uh, at a restaurant, not actually not very long time ago, and they had a um, a torta, which is like a Mexican version of a sandwich. It's this beautiful. They were using local bread. They weren't. They, they hadn't made the, the the proper proper telera, which is like a. It's a it's a bit like a, a war for blah, only not as soft. Um, and um, this particular torta, it's it's called an ahogada, which is a, a drowned torta. And in Mexico, you buy them and they're literally drowned in this really beautiful and rich um, sauce, oh, chili that sauce. Delicious. Oh, it's amazing. I'll make it for you next time. But um, they had they had done like when I got the dish, it looked right. And I was really excited. And then I took a bite of it and I was like. Oh my God! There's absolutely no flavor on the sauce. By by reducing the amount of chili, mm-hmm. they kill the flavor. And what they didn't realize, and this is this was a restaurant not run by Mexicans. What they they didn't realize is that that particular chili it's not a a chili that adds heat to a salsa because you have to be when you're cooking with uh, Mexican chilies. The easiest way to look at them is you need to kind of know whether it's a cooking chili or it's a salsa chili or it's a chili that's used for depth of flavor. And the particular chili they had decided to cut down um, mistakenly thinking this will cut down heat. It was the chili that adds all the flavor and very little heat. So I ended up with a soggy red mess that had absolutely no flavor. Yeah. And I just again, just to be, you know, just to be clear, like as you said, right, with chilies, different chilies do different things. Totally. And, I think, some, and yeah. that I think is, is Mex- something that people Mexico has two hundred different varieties of, of fresh chilies native to Mexico. And each chili has a different flavor profile. When we we use a lot of dry chilies as well. So we take out of those two hundred chilies, when you dry them, you may dry them at a different ripeness level. So every chili, regardless or pepper, regardless of where they're from, go from start life as a green. Then as they ripen, they go from green to yellow to orange to red. So green being the least ripe, red being the ripest. And exactly the same as you would get a, a green banana and a really black banana, the green banana would be 
soury and not very sweet. And this super ripe, almost rotten black banana will make you the best banana ice cream or the best banana bread. I wanted to explore something that May and I cannot see eye to eye, which is burritos. <laughs> I have never, I grew up in Latin America and, you know, I've been, uh, I spent a lot of time in America, but I don't really get burritos. But in Ireland, this is a huge, huge trend. And I think, you know, every country's in a different phase of burritos. Yeah. Obviously, London's not in that phase. Spain really didn't have that phase. Why are burritos so popular in Ireland? Everybody loves burritos except me. Can I just and say, May loves them. May well, I admit it. I don't actually love them, but um, for me it was um, we in New York. I remember in New York City when they were huge, and it was this idea that it was a student food. It was a slightly exact. So, and I remember when I came to Dublin, the first thing that struck me was all of these university students, and it was, and you see the burritos, and they're you know whatever. It's like five euros for a large burrito and like a can of soda, and and for me that was just something that I recognized from ten years ago in New York, and that I think, for, you know, and it's that cheap, but ex- cheap and yet exotic food. So it's not a sandwich, it's something different, and yeah, and that's I. Let me start by just saying, as as a as a Mexican purist, um, nobody in Mexico eats burritos. Okay, so that you know, um, I'm going to be harsh, um, but but stay truthful. Uh, in Sonora, which is in the very north part of Mexico, um, there is uh, a tradition of making these very very large. Uh, flour tortillas, and they do have uh, they're very thin as well. Uh, and they have this tradition of of a dish called burrito, but it's absolutely and utterly nothing like the burrito known everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world, I think um, burritos are definitely a Calimex uh, food. It's Tex-Mex too. Is it Calimex and Tex-Mex? I they, think again, we also might want to have you define sort of again these different. The, the sort of the US different Max, regional cuisines, yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely, burritos were invented in San Francisco. Oh, definitely. Um, but uh, but they're very popular in Texas, and they're both. If you eat a burrito in Texas and a burrito in California, they will taste completely different because there's different fillings and a different tradition of how to make them. But they're not Mexican, and anybody saying. They're Mexican. It's also committing a crime against Mexican food. You're going right? to have to find a lot of businesses. Oh, stop. Let me. But can I say one thing just from a business point of view? And I know, you know, you're a smart businesswoman. Isn't this the gateway to Mexican food? In Like burritos. I personally, um, I love Spanish food. I do a lot with Spanish food. I wish Spain had a burrito because that gateway into Mexican food is important. So it's a crime, but also is it is it the gateway? What do you think? Is- I, I think it used to anger me a lot because I was like, this is not Mexican food. What are they talking about? And, and you know, and in my very early days uh, and, and in the burrito craze, I used to get very angry. But eventually I realized it, what they're doing is a great service to real Mexican food because they're introducing people to Mexican flavors, Mexican-inspired flavors. And May is completely right. I always seen burritos as just a car fest. 
you can you can eat a burrito like a burrito is like a eating a newborn like they're enormous you will never catch a mexican putting beans and rice in a tortilla that's just not we eat beans and we eat rice but we never put them inside a tortilla that's just not that's for savages right um so it, tell us how you really feel yes <laughs> i told you i was going to get very passionate about burritos but it, it took a long time before i actually work out the rage and now i kind of go Listen, they do. They, I get a lot of business out of the burrito uh, businesses because young people go in. It's cheap. It's scarf. It's filling. And I'm saying they're 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 tasteless or anything. They're actually quite delicious if they're done right. They're just not Mexican. But what they're doing for me in particular is they're introducing young Irish people to these flavors. And then when they realize you can't have a burrito every day after you're 20 and not pay for it, they start kind of migrating into what we do. They want the flavors, but they might not want particularly the ton of carbs. So it took me a while, but I am actually now reconciled with the fact that that we're, they're part of the food chain. Um, and in Ireland, I think they're also, you have all of the burrito bars owned by uh, Irish people that went on a J1 or and ended up staying in California and um, decided that it's a great business model. It was a great way of introducing something new to Ireland, and and they did a they did a good job, right? But even the burritos are a little dumbed down. Yeah, I was going to say that actually the burritos here, and I kind of want to move it along just because I'm aware of time. But the burritos here for me seemed much more New York City than they seemed mm. San Francisco mm. Mission Street burritos. You know, because they are much blander, they're bigger, they're carbier. They, and you just put everything in it from South. Whereas you know a mission a mission burrito would be much more basic and much spicier and much yeah. kick to the gut. Lily, I wanted to ask you. Um, we get the feeling, and we've been talking to the Mexican embassy and Hugo from Azteca and Mexican friends that we have. There seems to be a buzz and like a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in Ireland regarding Mexican food. How do you see what's happening now? Do you see any exciting trends? And also, how do you see Mexican food will evolve? Will there be an Irish-Mexican fusion? Will it stay more Tex-Mex, Calmex? Yeah, will there be an Irish-Mex? Because there is Cali-Mex, there's Tex-Mex. Yeah. There's probably London-Mex. Brit-Mex, um, yeah. yeah. There's Brit-Mex. Yeah. I, I actually think I've been cooking Irish-Mex for a long time at home. You know, I'm a purist in my professional life, but at home I like experimenting. And, you know, I'm partial to a beautiful, you know, black pudding taco. I mean, there's nothing more delicious than a black pudding taco with like strips of poblano pepper and delicious Irish um, dairy. So we've been cooking that for a long time now. I, I also think that a lot of the Irish food, sorry, the Mexican food produced in Ireland, it's quite fusion-y as it is. Um, I don't believe there is anybody cooking, you know, pure traditional Mexican food. For a lot of reasons, um, I think there's access to ingredients is one. And also, you know, the majority of people want to just make money. And we all know, at least the three of us sitting at this table, that there's not a lot of money in food if you're doing it right. <laughs> uh, you have to, it, only very few people make 
good money out of producing and you know food that it's made both ethically and but the the supply of food seems to be getting better i do um i've been here five years but because i'm also married to an irishman i've been coming here for 20 years <laughs> for your sins it does, it does seem like there's more availability. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I have some Mexican friends in my neighborhood. So they're like, Blanca, there's La Costeña in Super Value. So by the time I get there, obviously, it's gone. <laughs> like, there'll be, a, like, you see some brands in Avoca. So I do see that, mm. wow, this is getting better. Obviously, I order a lot of stuff from Picado, especially in the tamarindo, tamarind <laughs> product <laughs> aisle. But, um, but it, it does seem to be, you know, growing and yeah. that's that's a good thing that people are willing to pay for these ingredients. Yeah, no, I think it's just be, as a, as the cuisine became more popular and this is a trend worldwide, you know, there's there's a lot more offering on Mexican food. Certainly the reason why we started Picado 11 years ago was because uh, there was this niche and the, and there was this, this dire desperation on me to actually cook food that was from home that was as authentic as we could produce it here so there's been a lot of uh, education in in my last 15 years in Ireland that's all I've been doing trying to educate people as to what is proper Mexican food and not all el crapo that you can buy in any supermarket so now you can actually get decent Mexican brands in loads of places, which is actually really, really good. And I think we're only going to get better. We're about, if you look at London, we're about 15 years behind. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's super exciting stuff in London. Ella Canta in the Intercontinental is one of the best Mexican places I've ever eaten at. The the Instagram um, feed for... Ella Canta yeah. is amazing. Can you guys tell yeah. me a little bit more about Ella Canta, please? Ella Canta is um, as a, it's, it's the resident uh, restaurant in the Intercontinental. It's about three years old, but now the the woman who um, the the owner uh, and the chef behind Ella Canta, which literally translates as she sings, is a very well known Mexican chef called uh, Marta Ortiz and. Um, Marotis Chapa, and she is uh, amazing. Like, if you look at, she's an amazing uh, chef, but she's also an amazing feminist and uh, a very, um, she's a, a very controversial figure in, in Mexico. Um, she's quite Marmite um, in general, but I think she's done an incredible job for Mexican cuisine. What sort of, I mean, can you, it's, again, specific dishes? She is, she's very well known for her uh, flair and her um, um, color. If you, if you look at her, um, if you look at her Instagram, uh, or if you're eating in any of her places in Mexico City, we were very lucky to, three years ago, to uh, go for a, a food trip in to Mexico and Mexico City, and she has a, a restaurant called Dulce Patria, which uh, translates as sweet country um, or sweet motherland, and it's all a spectacle. She cooks very traditional food with a, a kind of like a modern twist to it, and she borrows very, very strong um, from tradition and from pre-Hispanic 
um, mm. cuisine and produces these amazing dishes that they're not only flavorsome, but they actually look incredibly beautiful. And there's these, um, there's these fanfare and these, uh, you know, sophistication um, around and they're eating in her places is an experience and it's genuinely an experience because you might get a dish that comes in floating in foam and you know mist and you might have a, a little fortune wheel made by an artisan carver in Oaxaca mm. that has a, a different bonbon on each little seat and it comes in moving to your place. So it's, so it's very advanced. It's, it's an a, event. It's, it's pre-Hispanic meets modern, fan, yeah. modern fantasy and yeah, I bet JP. I bet JP would like a piece of that. Yeah, that it's, she's amazing. <laughs> the the thing with Ella Canta in London is that it lacks a little bit the fanfare, but you do understand the food is still incredible. But you do understand that she's actually the the restaurant's not purpose built, um, and it's not. She was actually quite uh, experimental when she first opened in London. I think nobody else was doing what she was doing. I just actually want to get back to sort of what we were talking about, importing things. Um, and, you know, because we're talking about London being 15 years ago. Uh, we, no, us being sort of like 15 London years 15, years, 15 years behind. Um, I know also you're very, you're quite, as with a lot of Irish people, you're quite interested too in the ethics of producing food and um, the ethics of importing. And are there foods, for instance, that ethically you feel uncomfortable importing from Mexico and are there substitutions that you do here because of that? Yes, um, there's a few brands, um, certainly one you can buy in Super Value that I would not touch with a stick. Um, we're we're tiny and small and I can make, uh, I, I cannot make grand gestures because um, we're very small and the market in Ireland is quite small. But I... I work really closely with uh, small producers and we try and, you know, get we sell very commercial brands um, because we have to. But we also give space for tiny little brands that are only starting and they're doing things right. And you will always come to Picado and I'll always be really, really honest. And if I, you know, we stock four different types of drinking chocolate. Let's start with that one. Mexican drinking chocolate is very different to the drinking chocolate that you'd get in Ireland or anywhere in the world. It has a lot of cinnamon. There's a little bit of spice through it. It's it's quite sugary and it's absolutely delicious. But um, so we have one brand that's made by Nestlé and I stock it because it's like Mexicans just adore it because there's this sentimental vintage almost Look, to the original brand, it's called Abuelita, and it, it was a Mexican brand. And a few years back, um, it was very cemented in, 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 in the hearts of Mexicans. And a few um, years back, Nestle bought it. Nobody has noticed they changed the formula, that there is now soy lecithin and a lot more sugar in it. And it's just Nestle. And, you know, I, if you don't agree with the politics of the company, um, I, I feel absolutely horrific. And I've tried and I've tried and delisted it a few times and I get riots on the street. But if you come in as, as new as Mex to Mexican food and you go and grab one of those, I gently explain to you, sorry, that's actually 
Nestle, and if it's the first time you're actually buying Mexican chocolate, what not buying this other brand that's produced in Oaxaca, that's actually made with ethical ingredients. It's all local. There's, you know, women that that work in this particular factory that wouldn't have any other source of income. Plus, the chocolate tastes amazing. Yes, it's a little bit more expensive, but, you know, can you not afford that? And it's amazing. People drop the one that I'm not really happy to stock and they take the one that's ethically produced. I also feel like I've heard you uh, voice some pretty strong opinions about avocados. Yes. Do you want to go into why you have the opinions about avocados, which, again, are... I think we're still, um, most of Ireland's avocados are primarily still coming from Mexico, right? Even though they're growing them in Spain. Yeah, there's a lot of avocado coming from South Africa and Israel at the moment as well. Um, Avocados are a staple in Mexico. It's our butter. We eat avocado every day um, at home. And I certainly grew up going out into the yard and picking an avocado from the three trees my mother had in the backyard and just enjoying it uh, it's delicious, but um, I haven't had an avocado for over a year now. Um, I Mexico's has at the moment, very sadly, a lot of problems with avocado production. There's the there's the problem that ecologically, environmentally, they're absolutely terrible. Uh, they're not meant to be mass produced to the level that we're producing them now, because everybody's going crazy over fifteen euro bloody avocado on toast. Uh, which, you know, it's it's crazy. Sitting and eating one avocado in one sitting for one person is absolutely sinful, right? And you you forget that that, you know, 15, 15 euro avocado on toast with a sprinkle of uh, sesame seed or furikake, yeah, and you're like, oh, my eyeballs sore from rolling. Um, they forget what goes behind the production of that. Mm-hmm. The people in the region of Mexico where avocados are produced have no water because it's all going into the production of avocados. Not only that, there's a lot of pesticides in the environment. The, the amount of water required to grow avocados is unsustainable. And right. this is the same problem in Spain, where we grow in the tropical coast near Granada. We grow some tropical things and the same thing. Mm. It's yeah. So even in Spain, it's where we really don't have a lot of water. It's it's an issue. So what would you recommend to people for substituting avocados? This is I don't. I don't eat them. Um, uh, you will never find guacamole in my repertoire. And I miss it dearly. But I just, you know, you can't substitute an avocado. You know, that creaminess, that buttery flavor of the avocado, I just don't make, don't make it, don't use it. Um, I, I don't think I've purposely gone and looked for for a, a substitution because I, in my in my mind, I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't anything so delicious. Um, the other very big problem with avocados is that the the cartels have realized they're like gold dust, uh, and the the value is. I mean, I think it's. I'm, I'm not entirely might not be entirely correct with the numbers, but I think is it eighty two percent of all avocados consumed in the United States come from Mexico. Yeah, that's a very high um, number. It is huge. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about what are places that we go? For Mexican in Dublin right now, so our listeners, if they haven't heard of them, 
I'll start. Um, I would say one of the places that I feel has the right combination for eating is um, El Grito. Um, and El Grito is run by a Mexican woman married to a Polish man. Um, I, you're going to find this funny, but uh, Revolution in Radgar, it's oh. a tiny little bistro. They only do pizzas and tacos. And they do four tacos, but those four tacos are amazing. It's a white owner who's actually the nicest young guy I've ever seen. He's Irish, married to an Australian, and um, all his staff in the kitchen are Mexican. But the difference, they're not random Mexicans they pick up from the street and assume they could cook. These guys are actual cooks. So the guy who makes the tacos was a taquero in Mexico. So you mm. can see the difference. And this is like in Radgar. Like, is it you open know. right now? I was just going to say I'm going to <laughs> Radgar now. Oh, seriously, you will absolutely love it. Also, Blanca, you mentioned that you talked to someone, and I think both of you m- would know more about this, that there is an initiative to bring m- Mexican chefs into Ireland right now? Is They're that- trying to... Um, I was talking to Tomás Olvera in the embassy, and he was saying... Um, that they're trying to make an agreement between Mexico and Ireland to bring more Irish uh, Mexican chefs to Ireland, mm. and that would be amazing. Mm. Yeah, and I sort out the visas. Yeah. I think what you're, th- what we're seeing in most Mexican restaurants in Ireland, regardless whether they're uh, run by Mexicans or by Irish, is the lack of a Mexican community. So if you don't have people who can cook. The reason why in the States you have amazing Mexican food is because you have a huge Mexican community that can actually fill the restaurant kitchen and do things right. Yeah. Yeah. But in London, I think even though there there isn't an enormous Mexican community... It's bigger. It's a little bit bigger. Mm. But in Spain, for example, the Mexican community also is not as big as, I don't know, other Latin American countries, but still you've seen an improvement. Um, now we want to Talk a little bit about these really amazing Blanca was, products. Blanca has been very excited. So, tell us a little bit about Pulparindo, but uh, I am seriously addicted um, <laughs> to this candy, and so are my daughters. And it's uh, can I just say never read the ingredients? Just no. treat it as a treat. Uh, it's a treat. It's mental. Most Mexican sweets in like bought in Mexican um, are some sort of chili and sugar kind of thing and they always have Mexican sweets that tend to be either sickly sweet or sickly spicy um, or somewhere in between uh, so pulparindo is like um, a fruit bar um, this is elevating it to uh, heights that it should not deserve so but right uh, it's like a, it's like a thin if you think of, of a fruit bar that's dehydrated and going really thin and um, it's like a ribbon almost um, and long and flat, uh, and it's made with uh, tamarind and chili, and it's tangy and tingly and sugary, but with a hint of spice. There's um, also, um, and we, you know, this we're going to have to dedicate a completely different episode to this. But something I had wanted to talk about is because tamarind for me, I always associate with Indian cooking and Thai cooking, mm-hmm. and um, and there's so many. Even now, I'm realizing so many ingredients that I think of as from being from Asia or from Europe, right, are from, in fact, the New World. Yep. Um, where is ta- is tamarind originally? Actually, tamarind is not. Tamarind is, is from India. Okay, tamarind is from India. India. Okay. Um, it's 
I do a lot of, um, I'm a food geek, and I do a lot of research uh, about food. Oh, this is delicious. <laughs> it's so addictive. This is so good. <laughs> um, but when I, I remember when I found out that pineapple, I always thought pineapple was a Southeast Asian ingredient, and I found out it's actually a Mexican ingredient. It's amazing. Simon. Isn't it interesting how many um, ingredients that are like vegan, trendy, like chia seeds, you know, come from the pre-Hispanic world? Well, it's gonna, almost like the trend now is like, I'm going to eat like an Aztec or I'm going to eat like an Inca. <laughs> <laughs> and, people, and people don't give that credit. It's like, oh, I eat quinoa, then I have a chia pudding. And there's a disconnect between the origin of those ingredients and the people who are promoting them. But even and, just the basic things like that, you know, sort of form our, you know, European, you know, like potatoes. Potato, like, you know, mm. I mean, obviously everyone chilies. does now know that like potatoes come from Latin American chilies. You know, and I think of Chinese food without chilies. And, of course, that's just such a... But it's a recent thing because, yeah. you know, it's like... It's Italian food without tomatoes. tomatoes. Exactly. Yeah. Now we're going to try takis. Tell us a little bit about takis. Takis are literally a cult product outside Mexico. It's like people have gone mad about takis. I had over the uh, December season, this year gone, I had... Nine Irish mammies looking for uh, a source of tackies <laughs> because their nine and ten year olds had actually asked Santa and Santa had run out of tackies and they needed to help Santa get in tackies. Um, this is amazing that a, a, an Irish nine or ten year old is looking for this stuff. Santa, from, ta- Santa, from, Santa. from Santa. Takis are, if you can think of a, uh, a tortilla chip round and flat and dipped into these um, combination of chilies and spices and I'm sure mm. MSG and mm. a lot of color and roll like a little taco and it's crispy and spicy and these it's are great amazing well. with beer but and i gotta say the pulperinos <laughs> is like that's that is my discovery of the week but takis are like mm. mental we we get a delivery and it's gone within like 10 seconds they're two euro 50 and people pay buy a bag of them and pay six euro for delivery it's mental it's crazy i i, I would have maybe one bag Every now and then, but they're actually, they're, they're my guilty pressure. But I try not to eat them too much because they are a lot of crap in them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I feel like we can push, probably wrap this up. But the last thing um, I wanted to do, I'm going to, Lily, you're going to be our guinea pig. We're shamelessly borrowing this from um, the Taste Podcast in the States. It's called Shoot, Shift, or Marry. Oh. Have you ever done this? No. Okay, so you have to pick one to shoot, one to shift. And when to marry. So kill one, shift the other, and then you, you're with forever with, um, with the third, right? So the shoot, shift, or marry is Old El Paso. Shoot. Taco Bell. Shoot. Doritos. That that's becomes a challenge. <laughs> that's I, a challenge. <laughs> we can play Okay, so then uh, Taco Bell, shoot. Okay. Definitely. If that's my three options, right? Oh, my God. Because I wouldn't take Man, any of them. So I would shoot all three. But, um, well, actually, no. Doritos, I could probably, wouldn't marry them. But I, they're, out of the three, they're probably the brand I would You'd have buy. To marry? 
Yeah, I probably marry Doritos above all if they're the chili wave. I wouldn't mind when Takis weren't available. Doritos. Oh yeah, I could see that. Chili wave were the closest I could get, so I would marry Doritos. Definitely shoot Taco Bell for loads of reasons. Not only because they're shite, but also because they're just a terrible company. And um, all El Paso, oh my God. I usually call them all El Crapo, but they would have to be my middle. Yeah, you'll just have to do a tequila shot before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Close Got my it. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> close your eyes, think of your country. Yes. yes. <laughs> Anything else, Lily, you'd like to close with? Um, something interesting about Mexican food or some last tip maybe on... I think... Um, Like, gosh, I'm sorry, because I ramble a lot and we didn't get through half the stuff that we were going to. But I think one of the questions that you had that kind of interested me a lot was about uh, an over-the-top and mad dish. Yes. And that has to be mole. Mm-hmm. Mole is just the most amazing concoction of ingredients. And it's a, it's a dish that speaks about the journey of Mexico through history and food, because it starts as a pre-colonial thing that was probably extremely spicy and delicious and goes through a colonization period um, where we added ingredients that uh, were brought from Spain to Mexico uh, after the conquest and is now one of the most revered dishes in, in the history of the country. For those of our listeners who, don't, who aren't familiar with mole, can you describe... Can you describe what mole, it is? Mole, I always say that mole is Mexico's answer to a curry. It's um, it's a chili chocolate sauce. In most cases, not all moles have chocolate, in fairness, but a high percentage would of the dark and red moles would have chocolate. And it's, it's this kind of savory, luscious, uh, spicy sauce that we eat. Or Originally, it was eaten with chicken and it was a celebratory dish. And uh, we still now, it's making a mole from scratch can take you up to two and a half days. So you still want a damn party if you're making it. But there are a lot of cheat ways to do it now. But it is kind of, in a, in a way, Mexico's national dish. And it, it I think it illustrates the journey that Mexican food has had through the ages, adapting and taking in influences and, and still being delicious. Thank you for listening. For those of you who are not our husbands, please like us, comment, leave a review on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us at Spice Bags Pod. Thank you, Lily, for being here and thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.